Thank you for that, Brad. That is powerful. That is powerful. That is, I, Brad, that's a, a beautiful song you wrote, really. And uh, that is, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, Christ Church, it is wonderful to be back here. Um, last time I was here, uh, they had me uh, celebrating an anniversary and talking about the Great Commission. Today, we're going to celebrate an anniversary and we're going to talk about the Great Commission. <laughs> so, they, 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 they keep me in my sweet spot. So, um, before we do that, though, let's just pray together. Father God, I just, I just, I pray you speak through me, Lord. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to preach my words. I want to preach your words. I, I just want to be a mouthpiece. So, Father, I am asking you that you would speak through me, and that your will would be done in this place. That you would take my mouth and speak through it. You take our minds and think through them. You would take our wills and bend them to your own, and you would take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And now there's a pulpit. Look at that. It's magic. All right. Um, but yes, we are celebrating 20 years of ministry at Christ Church. Let's clap that up. Praise God. Praise God. And we're also celebrating a 15-year partnership between Christ Church and Urban Impact Foundation. Um, yeah, Absolutely. One of the ways we're going to be celebrating the 20 years of, at Christ Church, I've been told that we're going to, for the next, over the next six weeks, we're going to be highlighting different ministries that have come from Christ Church. Uh, the first one being Urban Impact Foundation. Um, and then also, uh, I just want to take a second to acknowledge the cafe, um, because I'm going, to, I'm going to talk a little bit about Urban Impact, but our cafe over here has over 150 volunteers involved with that. Is that unbelievable? 150 volunteers. It takes 26 volunteers every week to run that thing from going to get the supplies from Sam's Club to preparation to service to cleanup. And it has raised in the past four months alone $9,000 for Urban Impact. And now, also, praise God. And it has been 15 years of partnership between Urban Impact and Christ Church. This last year, Urban Impact has served over 27,000 meals. To over 1,500 kids and over 400 students have responded to the gospel in this past year alone. And praise the Lord, right? So exciting. And I, and I want to thank every member of Christ Church, past, present, and future. Because the truth is, if there was no Christ Church, there would be no urban impact. At a pivotal time when we needed you, you stepped up to save us. And so because of that 15-year partnership, that's the only reason 400 people responded to the gospel last year. So I want to thank each and every one of you for supporting us in all the many ways that you do. Like I said, I'm going to teach you about the Great Commission. Here's what last time I came, I talked about how the Holy Spirit has given us an open door to do ministry. Today I'm going to talk about two temptations that Satan will want to use to derail us from completing Christ's Great Commission. But before I get in, oh, and they are distractions, and discouragement. The idea that, that Satan is going to try to make you believe that God cannot use you. The title of my sermon is Staying on Mission, so hopefully I will. Uh, before we get into that, let's pray. Father God, I just pray that you would use me uh, to speak your words in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So first, let's explain the Great Commission. At the end of Mark, at the end of Matthew, and at the beginning of Acts, Christ lays out his Great Commission. Uh, end of, at the end of Mark, he says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. And then at the end of Matthew, he says, go into all the world 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And at the beginning of Acts, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outer parts of the world. That's a great commission. You might be wondering, why does Jesus say it three times? Well, honestly, he probably said it many times. But the Holy Spirit is so smart, he says it three different ways because it completes itself. Right? We are to be Christ's witnesses to preach the good news of the kingdom in order to make disciples. Isn't God smart? It's perfect. So that's what we're here to do. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save us from our sins. He created a path for us to get to heaven and have community with the Father. And our job is to go spread the news. That's the Great Commission. And it is the last thing that Satan wants you to do. Because when you do it, When you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, make a convert who's going to be a disciple, you diminish Satan's kingdom. You diminish it. And so it is the very last thing that he is going to want you to do. And one of the ways that he is going to try to to get all of us from completing that mission is through distractions. And we're going to look at our passage today because Jesus gives us a perfect example of what it means to not get distracted. Um, I'm going to skip right to verse 42. Uh, Because in the previous verse, it shows how he heals uh, Simon's mother, and then he heals the other sick. And then in verse 42, he's leaving Capernaum, and this is what it says. It says, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So what's happening here? Jesus comes, he preaches the good news of the kingdom, he heals the sick, and the people of Capernaum love him. They love him, they love him so much they want him to stay. But Jesus realizes he has a mission, and that he's not going to let the people of Capernaum or anybody else keep him from that mission. His mission is to seek and to save that which was lost, and to provide a way to save them. Now, as Christians, as Christians, I hope it's a given for us that we should, not our le- we should not allow our sinful desires to distract us from the mission. That things like selfishness, lust, greed, pride, self-interest, those things should never distract us from the mission which Christ has for us to do, which is the Great Commission. But what this passage shows us is that at times, Satan can even bring good things into our life to distract us from the main thing. And I'm going to say that again. At times, Satan can bring good things into our life to distract us from the main thing. The people of Capernaum aren't bad. They want God, they have God with them and they want God to stay. But they don't understand why Jesus came. You see, they're they're thinking, Jesus, come to Capernaum. You're healing the sick. You're teaching us about God. If you stay, you can fix our problems. And then maybe they even have a vision that through Capernaum, Jesus can fix the whole world. But what they do not understand is this. Jesus did not come to this earth to fix our problems. He came to this earth to take the people from earth to a place that doesn't need fixing. They come and they say, Jesus, establish your eternal kingdom here on earth. He says, I can't do that. There's sin here. I am here to take the people of earth to my eternal kingdom and provide a way for them to get there. Our mission, our mission is to complete, to continue what Jesus has done. To spread the news of the kingdom to those who haven't heard it. And what Satan will do more than likely, he is not going to try to convince you that the Great Commission isn't important. Because we all, Jesus gave it to us. We know it's important. Well, more than likely, what he's going to try to do is get you to forget about it. Get you to think about something else. He'll, and he'll get you to think about things like hobbies, your work, 
and even your family. Now, I want to clarify that family statement because you might be thinking, well, hold up, Nate. Our priorities, right, are God, my wife, my kids, then my ministry, and then, and then uh, my leisure time. So if my ministry's here, how, how can the Great Commission come before my family? Let me, I want to help you understand what I'm saying here. Our job is to go and make disciples. As your husband, you should be discipling your wife. As your wife, you should be discipling your husband. And both of you should be discipling your children. People ask me all the time, how come you don't resent your father's ministry? How, how is that? All kinds of pastors, they resent their fathers. They walk away from the faith. Why didn't you? You know why I didn't? Because my father made me a part of his ministry. That's what he did. He made me a part of his ministry. The, the Manguses who go to this church, they have six children. Every single one of them love the Lord. How did they do that? All of them are involved in ministry here at the church and at Urban Impact Foundation. Doug and Sarah Mangus show up, and they do ministry, and they take their kids with them. If your goal is to fix your family or protect your family, you got the wrong goal. Husbands, we got to lead our families. That's what we got to do, lead them. And that's what my father did. And that is why I do not resent what he did. I'm a part of it. I believe in it. we got to go do the mission. And I want to drive this home because if the Great Commission is something that you have to do and it is not an integral part of your life, you will forget about it. For instance, for me, sometimes it's easier to think about football, because I love football, than it is to think about uh, the Great Commission. But when it becomes a part of your life, then suddenly you can't stop thinking about it because it's it's who you are. And in order to do that, we're going to do something that no American politician will ever want to do. We're going to ask a philosophical question, okay? If, if you watch Fox News or CNN, they never ask any philosophical questions. I guarantee you. It's all like issues. We are going to do something very different. We're going to ask a philosophical question, okay? And the question is, why are we here, right? Why are we here? All right, we're, it starts in Matthew chapter 22. A lawyer comes to Jesus and asks Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? Now, he is, he, he, he is, it's a, he's asking a semantical question. He's looking for a semantical answer. Okay? What he wants Jesus to say is something like, thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay? And then he can say, okay, that's what I thought it was. Thank you, Jesus. All right, boys, you heard him. We're going to go stone all the adulterers. Right? He can go lawyer the place up. But what Jesus tells the guy is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right there, boom, two sentences, the purpose of life. Right there. From the time you're born again to all eternity, that is what we're going to do. Now, some of the biblical scholars in the room are saying, well, what about worshiping God? Well, the great thing is it's a package deal. If we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, then we are worshiping him. And if we love our neighbor as ourself, as one who is loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, soul and strength then we are loving our neighbor as ourself with respect to God above us. And worship, the reason you can worship God no matter where you are It's because worshiping God is just keeping him in his proper perspective, keeping him number one in your life. That's why you don't have to be in church or you don't have to be praying or anything you do can be worshiped as long as God is in his proper perspective. And how do we know that that's the purpose of life? The next thing Jesus says is this, all the law and all the prophets hangs on these two commandments. In other words, everything that God has revealed to man, everything that God, because that's the law and the prophets, can be summed up in keeping those two commands. So there we have it, the purpose of life. But but there's a problem. Galatians chapter 5 and Romans chapter 7 clearly state that because of our sinful nature, we will never be able to fully complete this purpose while we're here on earth. 
can't happen. It does not matter what we do. The law of sin and death is at war with the law of the spirit of life. Our sinful nature will keep us from, from, from living out our purpose. So the question I have for you is this. Why are we still here? If the thief on the cross teaches us anything, it's the moment you, say, the moment you pray that prayer and you say, Jesus, I, I give you my sins and the Holy Spirit comes into your life and you now have access to the Father, that day you can be with Jesus in paradise. So why aren't you? How come when I prayed that prayer, I wasn't beamed up like Captain Kirk? Right? And the reason is because we have a mission. Guys, that's the only reason we're still here. Because we have a mission. Everything else will be completed in heaven. Now, of course, we can't leave our purpose out. You can't teach people to love the Lord your God without loving him. You can't. And if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, the Bible says that the love is God is not in you. And you're not going to be a very good witness. But that mission is why we are here. We are here because we are in the middle of a battle. That is already won because of what Jesus did. But there are people in this world that are choosing a losing team every day, and they don't even know it. And they're damned to hell. And and God's plan to save them is you and me. We're his plan to save them. Now, if Satan cannot distract you from that, if you understand, okay, the reason I am on this planet still and not in heaven is because of that mission, then what Satan's going to try to do is make you think that you can't get it done. That God cannot use you. And what he'll do is he'll take you to what I call the Satan spin zone. Okay, he's going to take you to the Satan spin zone. Where basically, he's going to take any truth and he's going to twist it. Or he's going to try to convince you with a half truth. Okay? Satan doesn't tell obvious lies. When he was in the Garden of Eden, he said to, he said to Eve, if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. And he wasn't lying. We're going to know good and evil. But he, he didn't give her the whole package. He also said, you will not die. And in that moment, she didn't, because that was down the road. See, Satan, he, he's, not, he's never going to tell an outright lie because we won't believe him. He's going to tell you a half-truth. That's what he's going to do. Let me give you some examples. Let's suppose you have a really, really dark past, and there have been a lot of sins that you have committed, and you were very ashamed of those. What Satan will tell you is that God cannot use you because you are so messed up. You're just way too messed up, and honestly, anybody you try to help, you're just going to bring them down. You're going to, if you try to help someone, you're going you're to mess them up. And you're a hypocrite because everybody knows who you were. So just keep your mouth shut. Just don't talk. Now here's the thing. If you're on the other side of that, and you don't have a riddled past, you came to know Jesus when you were five years old, and you've walked with him all your life, you know what he's going to tell you? Now, I mean, of course, you're not perfect, but... You don't have it. He'll say you don't have a testimony. You don't have a testimony. Your, your story is boring. Who's going to relate to that? How are sinners and, and are going to relate to what you have going on? No, no, no. Pastor Ed, he came to know Jesus when he was in his mid-20s through this dramatic conversion, and he had all this sin in his life, and God delivered him. Oh, that's inspiring. Yeah. Leave it to the people. Let the people who have a story tell it. You just worry about growth and that stuff. See what he does? If you don't know enough, he'll tell you you don't know enough. Oh, you don't know enough to help people. You need to, you need to go and learn like a million classes and then you can start helping people. And if you've learned a million classes, he'll tell you you're t- speaking too much Christianese. No, you're talking over everybody's head. No one can relate to what you're saying. It does not matter where, you're, where you are in the spectrum. He's going to lie to you to get you to think that you can't be used. 
I'm going to say one more thing because I feel the Holy Spirit's telling me to do it. If you think that it, that it is your gifts, that I'm not a preacher, I'm not a singer, I'm not a good communicator, that it is because of your gifts that God cannot use you, he never tells anyone to do something he has not equipped them to do. He gave you the tools. He's got to use them. We're going to talk about how we use them. Let me, let me tell you what Satan did to me. Actually, first of all, before I do that, let me tell you what Satan did to the people of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Abraham said he was too old. Jacob was too insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Gideon was too poor. Samson was codependent. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair and all kinds of family problems. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was reluctant. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist was a wild man. Peter was impulsive, hot-tempered, and weak. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Martha worried a lot. Zacchaeus was unpopular. Thomas doubted. Paul had poor health. Timothy was timid. And Lazarus was dead. (laughs) He He was dead. It does not matter what your excuse is. I don't have enough money. You have more than Lazarus. I don't have enough skill. You have more than Lazarus. I don't have enough time. You have more than Lazarus. Uh, and if God, and God used Lazarus so powerfully that when he brought him back from the dead, the Pharisees were trying to kill him again. Guys, no matter what your excuse is, you have more than Lazarus. No matter what Satan tells you, you have more than him. God can use you. Let me tell you how God messed with me. And this is going to make sense to absolutely no one, okay, when I say this. But this is how, this is how Satan, I'm sorry, not God, this is how Satan messed with me. This is how Satan got me to think that I need to keep my mouth shut. He convinced me that I needed to keep my mouth shut because of who my parents are. Now, isn't that confusing? Because my dad is a great evangelist, I need to keep my mouth shut. Let me explain how he did it. Because it's ridiculous, but it made sense to me. He said, Nate, after all that you've been given, you have been given everything a Christian could ever want. Your dad's a great evangelist. Your mother is a saint. Your, your grandparents have given you a great lineage. There are senior pastors who say, I want to mentor you. And you make the same stupid mistakes that everybody else does. How could you do that? You've been given everything on a silver platter. And you spit in God's face. Because you do everything else that every other person does. You are no better than anybody else. And you have no business telling people how to live their life. You need to keep your mouth shut. That's what he did to me. And I believed him. And I did for a while. But then, God took me to the story of Peter. Peter's original name is Simon, which means sand. right? And God says, no, 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 Peter, you are my rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And then when it comes time for Peter to be a rock, he denies Jesus three times. right? He's Simon. But then, God comes back to him and he affirms him. Right? At the end of John, he says, do you love me? He says, then feed my sheep. Peter listens, and at Pentecost, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's, he stands up to the Pharisees, and he is a rock. Then thousands of people come to know Jesus. But then in Galatians chapter 2, comes time for Peter to be a rock again. And the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians are getting together for like a luncheon and stuff. And basically, the Jewish Christians start shunning the Gentile ones, and Peter like, takes his tray from the uncool table and moves over to the cool table. And he's Simon all over again. 
then Paul has to get up and goes, hey, Peter, you're standing in the way of the gospel. We are now united in Christ. That's who we are. We are Christians now. We are all equal. There is no Jew nor Gentile. We are equal under God's salvation. That's right. And the Lord said to me, or he didn't say, but he got me thinking. I wonder what Peter was thinking in that moment. I thought, he's probably not thinking he's a rock. He's probably thinking, man, I am not a rock. That Paul guy, though, he's a rock. Everywhere he goes, he goes to, to all these different towns, and they're beating him with rods and whips, and they're stoning him. He stands up to anybody and everybody. That's a rock. Not like me. I'm sand. But Jesus said, you're my rock. Peter, not Paul, not James, not John. Peter, you are my rock, even when you do not perform. And that set me free. Because it wasn't about me. See, Satan did tell me a half-truth. I'm not better than anybody else. I'm really not. But Christ in me is. Right? I, I have no business telling people how to live their lives because I, I, I've screwed my own, up, my own up. But the Lord in me can change lives. That's why Paul says, it is not I who live anymore but Christ in me. Anytime Satan comes to beat you up, because Satan beat me with that like a rod, and when he comes to you, and he tells you, you can't be used. No, you can't, because of this, 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 this. You say, I have been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and so I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. So how do we activate it? How do we activate Christ living in you? Because we all know the, the law, the, the, our sinful nature is still in there. How do we activate Christ living in me? And what, what is it that we want Jesus to say when we, when we die and when we reach heaven? He, we want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Good and faithful servant. I thought that God was looking for superstars. He's not. He's looking for servants. And how you serve is it cannot be all about you. That's how you serve. You just, you just say, God, here are my gifts. These are the ones you've given me. Now show me how to use them, and they cannot be, it cannot be about you. I'm going to tell a story, and then I'm going to close. There's a, a man in this, from this congregation. His name is Bob Scheidemantle, and he came to uh, volunteer at Urban Impact because he was retiring. He just wanted to give a couple hours a week, you know what I mean, which if you've ever volunteered for Urban Impact, that's not possible. Uh, it's not. Uh, he came to give a couple hours a week to Urban Impact, and um, shortly thereafter, my dad got sick, and Bob Scheidmantle kept Urban Impact alive. He did. He kept it alive. He worked 40 to 60 to 80 hours a week just keeping Urban Impact functional, solvent. My dad comes back nine months later, and he says when he entered Urban Impact after nine months, it was like he had never left. Bob handed everything over to my dad. Urban Impact was running so well that my dad actually thought about taking a job in New York and in Florida and leaving Urban Impact behind, just starting a, a brand new life. We had had some other things that had happened. We were ready to kind of get out of Pittsburgh, maybe. And Bob had done such a good job that Urban Impact had learned how to, how to make its own decisions, all that kind of stuff. But when my dad came back, Bob was like, here you go, Pastor Ed. Where are we going now? That's humble. Now, my, 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 my dad was talking to one of our longest standing employees at the time. And he was asking her, how come when I came home, when I came back to Urban Impact, it was like I never left? How, how did that happen? And she told my dad this story. 
She said that every day she'd come into work and there would, there would be Bob. And he wouldn't be sitting at your desk, at, in your seat at your desk. He'd be sitting in the table in front of your desk in a different chair. And when she'd leave, she'd see Bob, he'd still be there, and he'd be sitting at that table at this different chair. Finally, she comes in to Bob one day. You know, it's been months now. She comes in to Bob and she says, Bob, you can sit in Pastor Ed's chair. He's not here. You don't have to sit at this little crummy table with this little crummy chair. You can sit in that chair at his desk. And Grandpa Bob says this. He says, no, I can't. Because that's Pastor Ed's chair. That's Pastor Ed's chair. And he's coming back. And it'll be waiting for him when he gets here. You see, service was never about Bob. It was about Jesus. And since my dad came back, Urban Impact is doing more than it has ever done before. Because Grandpa Bob decided, I'm not going to run it. I'm going to empower a preacher to run it. And so people hear about what Pastor Ed is doing on the north side of Pittsburgh through Urban Impact. They don't always hear about Bob Scheidmantle. But the, story, the point of Bob Scheidmantle's story is this. Can you serve? Bob had a business background. He's never going to lead a choir. He's never going to run the singers like Matt. He's never going to be up here preaching. It's never going to happen. He had a business background. Those are the gifts God gave him. And he said, okay, whatever you want me to do, I'm retiring. Show me. God's given you gifts. And if you can serve, God can use you. Here at Christ Church, there's plenty of places to serve. There are also plenty of places to serve at Urban Impact. If you don't know where God wants you to serve, I please sign up. Sign up. Find a place. And maybe you do know. You know a person. And you're like, that person needs the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to let Satan tell me that I can't tell him. I'm going to tell him. Start praying today for the Holy Spirit to open up an opportunity for you to speak to that person. Let's pray together. Father God, I give you thanks and praise that you include us in your ministry. You could just come and get it done, but you have decided to include us in this great struggle. And it is our honor and our privilege to get it done. Father, I pray that we would be diligent to do your work while we are here for the short time that we have to do it. Lord, unlike our purpose, our mission Our mission has an expiration date. We got a certain amount of time to get it done. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to do it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.